What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Daily Bible Reading Snapshot. Today, we're looking at Exodus 25 and 26, and it's all about the place where God dwells. It's all about the Ark of the Covenant, and it's all about the sanctuary, and it's all about the tabernacle, which are different words that we're going to talk about in a minute, but the main theme of today's passage is this is where God dwells. This is God's special presence is here, which you might be thinking, okay, doesn't God like dwell everywhere because doesn't he fill heaven and earth well yeah he does in a sense but he has a special care for special places and this is a hard thing for us to get because i think we are so used to living in a world where we can do things wherever we want that we don't have a good sense of okay where is god's special presence because this theme we're going to read about here although we don't still look at a place as the the special place of worship as john as jesus says in john 4 we also care about God's special presence even today. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here it says they give generously, these Israelites give generously so they can build the sanctuary, which is a sanctuary, holy place, place where holiness is, right? So um, the first thing that we talk about here is the Ark of the Covenant, which is this box that was going to visually represent God's presence. And it was going to be put in the Holy of Holies. What are they going to put in the box? Well, they're going to put, first of all, the Ten Commandments. But even more than that, they're going to put some other items which show God's faithfulness to Israel. Then it says, and you're going to read about that in a minute, but then you're going to read about the table of bread, the golden lampstand, and all the things that belonged in this holy place. And I want you to see there's very specific instructions about this, which shows that God cares a lot about the details of how they do what they do. God doesn't just say, hey, figure it out, do it on your own, whatever you do, I'm sure that'll be great. He gives very specific instructions, which tells us something about God. God does want to be worshipped in a very specific way. That doesn't mean every worship song needs to sound the same, but there are some things that are important, some foundational things for how God is worshipped, and God says he cares about that. It's very obvious here. So that's described here. It's going to be built later on, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But chapter 26 is the tabernacle. It's a description of the size and, and how it's all put together. And I said earlier that, God's presence is still important today because the New Testament actually teaches us something about God's presence and it draws on these Old Testament ideas. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 that the place where God's people come together, the church, that is like God's temple. You might be thinking, well, that, that's weird because there's a lot of different places ch churches meet. That's true. And God says in 1 Corinthians 3, makes it very clear to us that the, the church of God is like the temple of God because later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says that the dwelling place of God is in the heart of the Christian. He says the Holy Spirit comes and it's like he lives in the Christian and that makes the Christian's life and, and even their, their body the holy place of God. Super interesting how that change takes place, but it's still the same idea that where God dwells, that is an important place. And Paul uses that argument in 1 Corinthians 6 to say, that's why we need to treat our bodies with respect because it's the dwelling place now of God's spirit. Very interesting. But not just the individual Christian, because you could say, oh, well, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, so like I can go wherever, do whatever. Um, no, the whole point is the opposite. But in fact, not just the individual, but 1 Corinthians 3 says the church, right? The group of Christians, that's where God dwells. So that imagery is still picked up in the New Testament. So we still care about this. This is not something I want you to read and think, well, whatever, I'm just going to read it and not care about what it says because it doesn't matter anymore. 
It absolutely matters now. It's just different. God has changed where his holy presence is now. Now it's in the Christian individual and the Christian community. So that's our Old Testament reading. New Testament, we're looking today at Matthew chapter 21. And Matthew 21 is where Jesus rolls into the city of Jerusalem. Doesn't roll in, he actually gallops in on this donkey. And it says he comes in with humility. You would expect a king to come in on a bigger animal than a donkey. It'd be like, you know, the president coming into town in a Ford, you know, you know, not a Ford. I was thinking like a Ford pickup truck. He comes in just on a very normal looking, you know, Ford F-150 that's not super nice. He's just coming in on a donkey, a workhorse, so to speak. He's not coming in in a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or, or in a presidential limo. It would feel really weird, but it would feel familiar because this is what the scriptures say. Zechariah 9, 9 says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, right? A very simple car. They're coming in right there. This very simple method of transportation they're coming in. And it should say something, right? That Jesus is coming in humility, but he will later be said to be coming in riding on a white horse, which was this, this symbol of power and majesty and really a symbol of royalty that Jesus is the king. So don't worry, that's coming later. But as he comes into town, people have different questions and people respond differently to Jesus. And I think as you read the Gospel of Matthew, I hope that's a theme you picked up. Everyone's responding differently to Jesus. And the question is, how are we going to respond to Jesus? Will we be like the Pharisees and the scribes and the people here who get mad? And some of them get mad because people seem to be worshiping Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes and all these people, they turn to Jesus and they say, do you hear what these people are saying? So they were indignant. They were mad. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, shouldn't you be mad about this? What these people are saying? Jesus turned to them, quote Psalm 8 verse 2 and says, yes, but have you read? And then he quotes Psalm 8 2, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Later on in that verse, he doesn't quote it, but later on it says, so that he can silence the enemies and the foes of God. Interesting. It's like this praise coming from kids is supposed to silence the, the opposition of God's enemies. It's interesting. Who are God's enemies here? Well, the scribes and the people who are opposing this worship for Jesus. And also Jesus is showing here in a veiled way, but he is showing that he is God, the God that's praised in Psalm chapter eight. So that's super cool that we see that here. Now, that's all important, but I think one of the most important things we read today is this cursing of the fig tree. The reason I say that's important is because it's going to show up all over Matthew 21, 22, 23, 24. It's going to continue, even 25. It's going to continue to show up in tomorrow and the next week's reading. So here, here's the point. Here's what happens. Jesus walks by a fig tree. It has no fruit, and he curses it, and he says, you don't have any fruit, you're cursed. And it withers, and, and um, it has no more fruit. Now, you're like, okay. Great. Why is that important? It's important because it's representing this whole community of people. These, this Jewish generation, instead of embracing Jesus, they reject Jesus. And I think what he's showing here to all of us is he says, okay, you've rejected me, right? Well, then you got, you're done with your chances. And these people don't really respond to Jesus like they should. Obviously, there's a small group of them who respond well to Jesus after he's died and rose again and Peter and the apostles preach. Some of them respond rightly, but overall, 
this Jewish nation doesn't turn to Jesus like they were supposed to, they reject them and say, I'm not going to be a part of it. This is all a part of God's plan. And even the book of Romans explains more about this, that one day the Jews will be saved, but not now because this generation said, nope, we're rejecting. And that was all a part of God's plan from the beginning. But this idea of not bearing fruit and then not getting a second chance is going to show up as we continue to read the Gospel of Matthew. So, thanks for reading. We'll see you back tomorrow for another daily Bible reading snapshot.